Roman Gabriel show. The truth is that, you know, when the Chiefs are winning at work, nobody can stand to be around me because I can't hold it in. Yeah. So well, I have to stay pretty busy, you know, yeah, <laughs> just to stay out of trouble. I'm around an inordinate amount of New England Patriots fans. My whole team of Faulkner Focus is from Boston. I'll have something to um, sort of commiserate with them on. And that is, I didn't like the way that Tom Brady got treated when he left. I don't think you offer somebody like that a year deal and cut their pay, basically. And I don't know all the details, but I didn't like it. And so when people on my team were upset over Tom Brady, I could feel them. And I said then, the first week of the season, I said, I want to see if this could happen. I actually predicted that he would go to wow. the Super Bowl chair. Sure. And everybody news. thought it was nuts. Wait, wait, wait. Don't we, have to have the, don't we have to have the Fox News breaking news come across the deal? I think we do. I mean, like a Fox News alert. Welcome to a new edition of the Roman Gabriel Show, powered by Shred360. Go to Shred360.com. She loves the Kansas City Chiefs. She's even sang the national anthem for the Chiefs. The talented Fox News host of Faulkner Focus and Outnumbered, Harris Faulkner, joins us right here on the Roman Gabriel Show, powered by Shred360. Remember, for all things sports and entertainment, Go to RomanGabrielShow.com. That's RomanGabrielShow.com or anywhere you get your podcast. Hey everybody, this is Roman Gabriel, host of the Roman Gabriel Show. You know, our mission is much larger than providing you an entertaining podcast. Our country faces an ongoing crisis of underage youth battling alcohol and drug addiction and a rising suicide rate. This problem impacts all of us and our families. Our nonprofit, the Sold Out Youth Foundation, has been my passion since 2003, impacting hundreds of thousands of middle and high school students, challenging them to an alcohol and drug-free life, while providing a life-changing interactive online education platform, teaching students valuable life skills and success principles, equipping them to pursue their passion and dreams. I need your help. Our program is successful because of people just like you who financially support our movement. Please give safely and easily today by going to our website at soldouttv.com. That's soldouttv.com and click on the red donate button. Or right now on your cell phone, text soldout20 to 484848. That's soldout20 to 484848. All donations are 100% tax deductible. And believe me, any amount will help. Your generous gift can help one more child stay on the right path to health, wellness, and success. Thank you, and be sold out. All right, welcome to the Roman Gabriel Show. Um, this young lady, uh, I uh, have wanted to get on for a long time, and we met at the Super Bowl in uh, Miami a year ago with our mutual friend, Nick Lowry. And uh, she is Harris Faulkner of Fox News. She hosts Outnumbered, Faulkner Focus, and um, Town Hall America. So it's not like you're busy on Fox, is it? Our good friend, Harris Faulkner. <laughs> I try to stay out of trouble because the, the real deal is, and thank you for that warm introduction, and it's so good to see you. Um, the, the truth is that, you know, when the Chiefs are winning 
at work, nobody can stand to be around me because I can't hold it in. Yeah. So well, I have to stay pretty busy. You know, you're, <laughs> just you're to stay out of trouble. Lot, so they must not like it very much because yeah. they lose hard. I am around an inordinate amount of New England Patriots fans. I guess the vicinity of New York to yeah, yeah. New England, and uh, my whole team of Bachner Focus is from Boston. All the women on my team were from like a, a similar neighborhood oh, so you got the, you got the, uh, in Boston. So I now have something to um, sort of commiserate with them on. And that is I didn't like the way that Tom Brady got treated when he left. I don't think you offer somebody like that a year deal and cut their pay, basically. And I don't know all the details, but um, I didn't like it. And so when people on my team were upset over Tom Brady, I could feel them. And I said then, the first week of the season – I said, I want to see if this could happen. I actually predicted that he would go to wow. the Super Bowl this year. And everybody news. thought it was nuts. Wait, wait, wait. Don't, that, we have to have the, don't we have to have the Fox News breaking news come across the deal in a circle? I, I think we do. I mean, like a Fox News alert. Would you want to do a... Who is this with us right here? Oh, this is Danica, my 11-year-old daughter. All right. And show them your shirt. Hold oh, up okay. your shirt. Okay, she is really the cool. second biggest Chiefs fan in our family. And we just got our AFC Championship shirts, which we ordered during the game. Look good. Which takes a lot of, I mean, I, I think, uh, faith in your team. Yeah. Doesn't that look good? Because you know, you know they make both, don't you? They make they both. What? On Championship Day, they make both. They do, and I think they do that for the AFC Championship, too. And you have to order them during the four, fourth quarter in order to get your T-shirt from NFL.com before the Super Bowl. So we just had a lot of faith. And I know the Super Bowl one is like that because I've been on, like, different vacations in the Caribbean or wherever, and I'll see people wearing the free T-shirts that came from the game that lost. And I always love talking to those people. Like, you know, I'm a visitor, and, they're, and I'm like, wow, are you a such-and-such such fan? And they're like, no lady from the USA. It was great. <laughs> so, so, Danica, who's your favorite player? I like Patrick Mahomes. Uh, that was, that, that was, I should not even, I should have known that. So <laughs> right. Patrick Mahomes. Well, she's 11. He's not much older than she is. That's no, true. That's true. <laughs> I have a 14 year old daughter, too. So, and so, we always joke that when Patrick started playing for the Chiefs, he was really young. Yes. He still is. I met Patrick uh, right out of Texas Tech. Patrick and Tom Brady, uh, we had some video from them uh, that they shared with the kids, and the kids were really fired up. Uh, uh, but those two guys, I tell you, you can't go wrong. They're two great role models oh, and so great true. talents. Yeah, great they, they talent. really are. And, I mean, I watched a recent virtual interview where uh, Tom Brady was asked, you know, if you could have one of Patrick Mahomes – gifts you know his talents what would it be and i loved watching him you know mimic mahomes from a seated position going back in the pocket and you could tell that that they're really fans of each other and and in this you know in this environment and what we're going through in the pandemic if there's one lesson that we have learned as human beings it is love thy neighbor oh, yeah. and it was just great to see the two of them virtual however they would be for that interview I thought it was a good thing for everybody to see, especially young people. I'm really glad you did that this morning at, at the school where you visited. So you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan because you worked in Kansas City. Is that right? That's 100% true. And I come by it, honestly. I mean, I worked for a Fox affiliate. And I did a lot of sports while I was there. 
uh, when they went to the AFC Championship in Buffalo, Joe Montana was the quarterback. Right. My co-anchor and I, who did the primetime news, Phil Witt, and our whole sports team traveled with the team. We stayed at the team hotel. We lost. It was the coldest day of my life. Um, and so when we beat the Bills a couple weekends ago. You like that. Yeah, I love that. And I just, I really, you know, I have a big understanding, a better understanding, even as a fan of home field advantage. And by the way, everybody said there is no such thing as home field advantage in a pandemic, but there were still, there were quite a few people. Yeah, Arrowhead. yeah in Green Bay and New Orleans and Arrowhead, they still had some noise going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, so it was good. And, you know, um, I was looking through, I've been broadcasting from the man cave to do my shows every day for Fox News. And I was looking around the other day. We have some pictures, memorabilia around our man cave. And it's a small place. And I was looking around and I said, gosh, I remember that day I sang the national anthem at Arrowhead yeah. Stadium at the Chiefs game. And I hadn't looked at that picture up close in a while. And I looked and I said, that's right. It was the last preseason game that year. Oh, my gosh, we were playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Wow. I hadn't even remembered that. So I feel a lot of connection to this game. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's amazing that they – after 54 years, could go and win a Super Bowl. And then now, because the Super Bowl and I are both the double nickel, you know? Right. Um, Harris Faulkner is our guest from Fox News, and Danica, her daughter, sitting by watching, and she's a Patrick Mahomes fan. Um, <laughs> surprise. Um, you know, you and I have two things in common, a great love and excitement for sports. And I am a political junkie. I, I am really into politics. Uh, really? Well, you yeah. know, they're quite a bit alike. Yeah, they are. They are. It's a competition. You've got uh, passion. passion. You've got yeah. – uh, this year has been crazy wild, and I wanted, to, I wanted to ask you from sitting in the seat that you sit in, has, has, in your career, has there ever been a crazier year than this one? You know, from a political standpoint, I've covered a lot. You know, um, I remember the, the re-election – campaign of Bill Clinton. And he was the first president that I ever interviewed. And I was in a swing state of Missouri in Kansas City. And I remember how crazy that got. And I remember the Monica Lewinsky, um, I call it the Bill Clinton scandal. Right. Why we call it the Monica Lewinsky scandal. It's really on him. Everybody can remember where they were when he made that. Yeah, but yeah. I was covering it and yeah. had sat down with uh, the former president and his wife, Hillary Clinton. Um, in St. Joseph, Missouri, on a whistle stop that they made along with the Gores. And so I have covered, you know, um, look, George W. Bush, after 9-11, covering the news in this country, right. that was political too. Right. You know, you're, you're looking at situations where dire circumstances ought to have everybody on the same side. But things divide us sometimes. Exactly and, right. you know, the war divided us then, uh, you know, going to Afghanistan and then further going to Iraq. I mean, it's, it's always tumultuous in terms of the politics of it. 2016 was unbelievable. Like 2016 yeah. was unbelievable. Leading up in that primary with all of those Republican candidates right. and everybody gunning for Donald J. Trump and him coming out and then beating Hillary Clinton. I mean, it was, so I've seen crazy times. I've seen political, you know, games and angst. And, so, you're and like, so you're like a football veteran when you've kind of seen it all, you know. Yeah, really but the difference, you. Now, the difference now is the layering of the heartache of where we are with the pandemic. 
The difference now is the division in the country that people point to race, but I point to everything. Yeah. It's life experience. It's, it's a breakdown in understanding how important small businesses are to our, our economical yeah. infrastructure, that we wouldn't support them along the way while we're making all these other decisions, forgetting that they hire nearly 70% of all people in America, that big corporations don't out hire yeah. the little businesses. So all of this mixed in like a brew um, makes it the biggest moment probably for me in my career, just because of all that's coming at it. But politically, we've seen it all. And, you know, I guess I'd liken it to, to football in this way. Um, there's some unpredictables along the way. And we hope, and hope is not a strategy, but we hope for the best during those times. The game change often is something that we didn't see coming. January 6th, we didn't see coming. Yeah. The vaccine, we knew it was coming. But my goodness, can you believe how the last administration delivered on that? And now this current one has to take the ball further down the field right. and help us. I mean, it's, what, what, I, I, was, I know I people want to say we're divided, but I see a continuity there. And I want everybody to give each other credit for doing something because it's going to take all of us. Yeah, Harris Faulkner is our guest on the Roman Gabriel Show. Go to romangabrielshow.com, anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, Harris, tell me um, what growing up uh, overseas with a father who served three tours in the military, uh, how did that impact your perception of when you came back to the States and in your job today? Well, you know, I was very young when we were stationed in Stuttgart, Germany, and dad, uh, my mom and I stayed behind as dad was fighting as a combat pilot in Vietnam. His branch was the army. It was mid to late of the Vietnam War, so you did have advanced aviators from different branches. So the army, Navy, Air Force, everybody was flying pretty much. And he was a talented pilot and a great guy. And, uh, you know, Probably the thing that resonates out of all of my experiences growing up brat, as I say. And by the way, for me, brat, military brat, is a, it's an acronym. It's born, raised, and transferred because you do yeah. a lot of that moving around. Yeah. Um, I'm resilient. It's just being resilient. It is surrounding yourself by the best that, that make you better. Your inner circle, your squad, what my dad used to call your special forces are critical around you. And you need to be really picky about who you let in because they can influence you. Um, but always know that no matter what's coming, you're resilient. You can come back even better. And at a time when there were signs that said, you know, whites only, coloreds only, for bathrooms, for water fountains, my father made the decision to go fight for his country because he would tell his family and anybody who would listen, he loved America and he would rather fight for America and its enormous potential than live anywhere else in the world and hope for freedom. He said fighting for America was strategic. She's amazing as yeah. a country. I have no doubt. My father passed away a month ago on Christmas Day. It was unexpected. And you know, he's with me, he's flying with me in rarefied air everywhere I go. Who would have thought that a little girl born on Fort McPherson base in Atlanta, Georgia would 
grow up and have millions of people watching her across two number one shows on Fox News Channel. But I am and I'm blessed. And I know that his and my mom's ability to get me to Roman, and you know this to be true too in life, if you can not stare at the horizon, but look up at possibilities, it's amazing what can happen. And I'm strong in my faith and my faith is not, it's up. I keep looking up. Well, you brought that up because one of the things that I have noticed in watching you do your thing at Fox is, you know, there's a lot of um, pessimism and a lot of negativity going on up there right now. And it's obvious based upon just the political fight that's gone on. But when you talk with people, you can, you can see your faith come through in terms of your optimism and thinking the best of people and trying to be respectful of people Thank while, you. while telling the truth or asking people to tell the truth in a really tough environment where truth is a really difficult thing to cut through. Um, how, when did you become a Christian? When did you, your faith become important to you? Uh, did it start at an early age? Is that something that has carried you through most of your life? So, you know, some people will say, oh gosh, my faith came and there was an epiphany and I was older. My faith is something that both my parents agreed that they wanted to choose for me because they didn't ever want me to be without. They said, you know, you can choose your, your friends, you can choose your clothes, you can choose a lot of things, but in this house we serve the Lord and you are a part of that as long as you are with us. We choose this for you because we, we want you to know who you are, but we want you to know whose you are and we belong to the Lord. So I think at birth, I mean, I, I, I don't, it was never an option. Now, what became optional later in life is how you choose to serve the Lord. Right. And, right. and I always had them reminding me that the first thing you must do on this planet is to leave a legacy of good. And, and that can be children. It can, be, it can be a whole host of things, but you must help and save as many as you can from whatever is happening. So if there's a flood, take some life jackets with you out the door. You know, that's a metaphor, but it also can be true. I have never allowed myself, and I was never allowed growing up, Roman, to be anything less than someone who was a child of God. Not an option. And remember, when you act badly, this is what my parents would tell you, you're not just reflecting on us. You're reflecting on the Lord. Now, think about that when you're doing what you're doing. And it's hard as a youngster because we all make mistakes. Sure. And, you know, everybody has their wild side. You, you have not seen me until you see me at a Chiefs game. Um, how diff how difficult is it? Season. How difficult is it to be in that Washington environment that's very liberal, uh, much of it, um, very... Um, anti-faith, how, how tough is it to be the type of person that you are and to be a faith-based type of a person up there? Well, you know, it's interesting. I don't live in D.C., but my dad was stationed uh, support to the Joint Chiefs of Staff at the Pentagon when I was growing up, so I have lived in D.C. and in Arlington and Fairfax, Virginia areas. But right now, I live on the East Coast. I, I live north of D.C., so I'm in Jersey and work in New York. Um, and, you know, I don't really think of people in terms of their political parties, but I have to say this out loud. When I look across the Hudson River at the city of what's going on in New York City right now, it breaks my heart. Mm -hmm. It breaks my heart. My father was at a senior complex. He was not in a nursing home, but he was at a senior complex. 
He was very lonely in the end. You know, he would share with us that. But he was healthy. He was physically healthy. Um, Dad died of a broken heart. You know, he missed my mom. They were married 57 years, and she died not too long ago. So we know that. But I can't imagine my sisters and 11 cousins in the Dallas Metro not being able to go by and hang out with Dad socially distanced at the senior complex. New York is so dense that when Governor Cuomo decided to put COVID-infected patients inside of nursing homes, the weakest physically among us exposed to those with a disease that we had no idea what it could do. He broke the spirit of what we know is leadership by not owning up to that and apologizing, Mm -hmm. and he continues to do it. I don't make that about politics. But I don't the personality, know what the personality defect. It, yeah, and, but when you look across the country, you cannot argue with the fact that the places where, it, where we see it, we, we report on this, Roman, where we see the degradation of law and order, where we see people burning people's livelihoods, their, their businesses, those are Democrat-led cities. Baltimore, Chicago, Chicago in particular right now, New York City with its murder rate during the pandemic. I mean, it's heartbreaking. So do we say that a bunch of liberals or a bunch of Democrats aren't getting it right? Or can we say that they haven't decided how not to get it wrong yet? And maybe they need to have more voices at the table. And maybe all those voices don't have to resemble and vote like them. There's room for everybody. And we better figure that out quickly because we, we need it. Harris we have 75 million people who voted for Trump. You can't just say elections have consequences. Life has consequences. Right. You need all those people. Harris Faulkner is my guest on the Roman Gabriel show. And, uh, you got Harris me did, fired up. I know. I know. I like the passion, though. So um, I wanted to ask you because a lot of people ask me, you know, who's your favorite interview in sports? Who's, who's the most interesting person mm. you've ever interviewed? Uh, how is that for you in terms of government? Who's, who's the most interesting personality or the one that you said, wow, that was a lot of fun? Okay. Well, I, can I take the sports one, too? I yeah, well, you can take the sports one, too. Sure. Yeah, and I've done a lot of sports interviews, and um, I loved interviewing Magic Johnson. Yeah. I loved it. I loved it. And he was out of the game. He was talking fully about his health challenges with HIV, and he was talking about becoming the best at whatever you do. Um, I loved being in his presence, and his laughter was contagious at the time. And I've seen him a couple times since then, but just sitting down at an earlier point in my career. Um, He made a huge impression on me in terms of how people should treat each other in those situations that are difficult. I don't think he he gets the credit either. I don't think he gets the credit either either. for what he's done now. In terms Uh, uh, of what he's done for the inner city and what he's done for Los Angeles uh, and what he's done for the African-American community. I mean, he's one of those athletes that transcends. um, You know, people think about Jim Brown. And they think about people, yeah. people like that. Well, Magic Johnson did it in a corporate way that I don't think anybody's really ever done it. You're so right. You're so, you're so, so right. Um, politically, I have a couple of favorites. But at the end of the day, you always want to sit down with someone who will take every question and give you every answer that they want to give. 
You know, sometimes you sit down with politicians and you get handled because right. that's what they do for a living. Right. And they're not really listening to you. You ask a question, they answer a different one. President Trump wasn't like that. He wasn't. He, I mean, he would come out of the White House and give reporters as much time as they wanted and they may have to shout over the helicopter. But when I sat down with him inside the Roosevelt Room in the White House the very first time in 2018, that December, it was the day after Michael Cohen, or the day that Michael Cohen, his former attorney, had just been sentenced. And I'm certain that that was not a conversation he wanted to have. But we gave everything we both had to that interview. And I think back on that now, there are a lot of politicians that you sit down with. There are a lot of people in general who don't do that. They don't listen to you. You have to give. You have to be generous of, of spirit and space to be able to do that. And I did, you know, the questions aren't always easy. When we sat down in June, I'm it was gonna, uh, tough again. And that was about rates. Something that I've wanted to find out, um, especially when you're covering it as closely as you do every single day. Um, when I run into people that know Donald Trump, that are friends mm -hmm. of Donald Trump, that have been around him socially, I'm not talking about the, the political fights, you know, when you're going back and forth and, and you know, kind of like in a football game where you're competitors and you're going to do whatever it takes to win. What is it about President Trump that, that people are drawn to? Um, what could you tell us about him that you found mm -hmm. that very few people would know? I think it's a positive and a negative for him. I think that he often will go with his gut. And I think in some ways it's a positive because he tends to think of things and outside of the box more than others. He's, he's taking in so much information and he's kind of going with what moves him. But when you're dealing with things that are science dependent, when you're dealing with things that have hard numbers and hard realities, when you're dealing with people, millions of them marching in the streets after the deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, uh, and I'm sorry to say that the list got longer over the summer. When, when, you're, when you're dealing with that, it makes it really hard to go with your gut. You're, you're gonna have to look at the facts on the ground. And I know he listened, but going with your gut in those instances can sometimes be fraught with, with difficulty. So when he and I sat down at a mega church in Dallas in the middle of the pandemic in June, um, socially distanced, of course. And I said, are you the man? Are you the pr president who can unite the country? He didn't do what most politicians would do. He didn't say, yes, of course I am. And this is how I'm going to do it. He went with his gut and he said, well, I think so. And I wonder today if I had the opportunity to ask him again, are you sorry you double clutched on that? Because your gut may have told you you wanted to kind of, you know, play all sides, but sometimes you can't. Sometimes yeah. the facts on the ground are you got to do this, this, that, and the other. But, I, you know, I got written up by Columbia Review, Journalism Review, rather, for that interview because he would ask questions or say things like, I've done more for people of color than Lincoln. And our conversation got written about because I said, Mr. President, let's back that up for the facts for a moment. We are free. So, I mean, that, that, that sort of gut right. instinct of his is exciting. I don't know that it always served him well as president at all times, but that's what people love about him too. They, 
they love the fact that he's willing to do it with all of his passion. And maybe in an instance, you make mistakes. But he's not afraid to make mistakes. Genuine. And you and I both know that being genuine to most of us is it's worth really more cool. than gold, right? Here, so I hope that answers your question. Oh, yeah. Hey, this is Nick Ruffini from Revoice Media, and I'm the executive producer of The Roman Gabriel Show. We got involved with this show because we realized that Roman has a passion for educating the next generation, and we need your help. We need you to be a donor and go to soldouttv.com and donate, whether it's one time or an ongoing basis. Please help us educate the next generation by becoming a donor. Go to soldouttv.com and click donate. And remember... You can help us at the Sold Out Youth Foundation by donating. Text Sold Out 20 to 484848. That's Sold Out 20 to 484848. And help us help your students to stay drug and alcohol free. Harris Faulkner is our guest on the Roman Gabriel Show. Go to romangabrielshow.com, anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, did you play sports as a youngster? Were you into Tennis. sports? Tennis, okay. And I ran marathons. I don't know that that's a sport, though. Well, no, maybe. it's a crazy sport, but it's a sport. I mean, <laughs> I've never yeah. understood that one. When you play football and they punish you by running, you really, oh. when you grow up and finish football, never want to run again. Right, so if you I get give it. me a ball, I'm good. But if you were to tell me, let's go out and run five miles, I feel great. No, no, uh-uh. I'll swim, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to run anymore. Well, I like that. Yeah, I love swimming, but. Um, so when did you, when did you get, um, did you play into high school and college? You know, I didn't. I, I played in charity tournaments when I was in Kansas City. Um, I had a mixed doubles partner who's still a meteorologist on KMBC 9 News. And, uh, and Brian Busby and I would play and, and we were really good mixed doubles partners. But I played with my dad. My dad was a huge aficionado of, of professional tennis. Yeah. And, uh, and I was pretty decent. I never played competitively outside of raising money for charity. That was important to me. And, and, you know, tennis is one of those things that you can play for the rest of your life. Like I've taught both my daughters. Right. And um, I have Danica. She's so modest. But that's my medal winning journalist. Like we have journalists. Excuse me, gymnast. And we call her our beam girl. She's amazing. And her upper body strength. I mean, she can serve a tennis ball. It's ridiculous. And she can wow. walk on her hands like Serena Williams just forever. And that upper body strength well, really makes her good. I, so I love the sport still. I go to the U.S. Open every year. I'm, I'm hoping to go back this year. Um, I didn't, obviously, last year. But, yeah, I love the sport. You and I have something in common. I, I grew up in Southern California, and you went to UC Santa Barbara, which is a yes, really I'm a nice place to go to college. Really? Yeah. Nice. No, where'd you go to school? Uh, I went to school two years, uh, went to high school out there, and then I went to two schools, junior college in Palm Desert, a place called College of the Desert, uh, which is Palm Springs, and then went on to the University of New Mexico on scholarship. But um, I saw where you went to UC Santa Barbara. I mean, that's just, a, yeah. especially back then, that was a great place to live, a great place. To live. It's beautiful, and it, it still is. I mean, it's a great place. It's, the beaches are incredible. And my husband actually went to Occidental. We didn't know each other yeah, then, but he played yeah. uh, Division. He played Division three basketball. Okay. And uh, and I have a lot of respect for that. I used to when we were dating. I was like Division three. Oh, but to this day, to this day, that guy can sink a three pointer with a soda in his hand from the bench. Yeah. I mean, it is impressive. 
Occidental, um, my dad, when I was a kid, he used to do football camps at Occidental. So I remember oh, really? coming over there. Yeah, I used to, it was back in the day where the kids would come for a week and we would mm-hmm. stay in the dorms and we would have two practices a day. And, oh, uh, fun. He and a lot of his Rams teammates were the coaches and he brought mm-hmm. local college coaches in. So that was back in before you signed all the waivers like they do today that's uh, cost so much money in insurance, but they used to do yeah. these football camps that were a lot of fun. So when did you, when did you get the passion for, for football in terms of being a football fan? So my whole family is from Dallas. And I mean, Cowboy Nation, wow. <laughs> There's nothing like Okay, it. so you so, were there. Were you, when were you living there in Dallas? So when we got, when my dad got back from Vietnam, we moved from Stuttgart, from Stuttgart, Germany. We were only in Dallas for a short period. And then we were at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. So I've only lived there for probably just a few months in between so assignments and my dad. But my parents, I have 11 cousins there, my dad's brothers, my mom's sisters. I mean, I had so much family growing up and we would go back every summer to visit. And I would stay with my grandmother and all the kids, all the grandkids would stay in her one two bedroom apartment together for at least a few weekends during the summer. And we would watch preseason at the end of the summer like it was the Super Bowl. And a lot of times, I mean, we could get tickets to those games to see Dallas preseason. So I learned a lot about the game, and I loved the game of football. And when, you know, I got older and I lived in Kansas City, Fox Sports covered the Chiefs. Yeah. So I started working that gig of, with my co-anchor, Phil Witt, and we did primetime, and we do specials and whatnot. We traveled to Buffalo. We did three-hour-long sports specials. And, and I just started to really become an expert on certain things. It was odd. For anybody, that, for anybody that's never been to Arrowhead, and I've had the pleasure because I lived in Kansas for a few years and I got to go to some Chiefs games. All right. Um, I don't know if there's another place like it. I mean, it's professional football-wise. Yeah. It's like a college crowd with the enthusiasm, the tailgating. Mm-hmm. Um, probably probably the, yes. would put them up as the best crowd in the NFL, right? It's so true. And, you know, everybody goes to see them. The very first game, I'll name drop just a little bit here. The very first game I went to, uh, I went to a tent, under the tent tailgate um, with some Fox VIPs. And I sat between Rush Limbaugh and George Brett. Wow. So, you know, the bar is high for me, man. (laughs) That is (laughs) I sort of think that the sun sets on the Chiefs' shoulders because I've seen some great people go see the Chiefs play. Yeah. Um, but Arrowhead Stadium is special, too, because there's never been a talk about closing it, covering right. it over. It's so cold. But it's a home field advantage. Right. Even in a pandemic with just a few thousand, it was so loud in there. And you just feel hearty being there with your red paint. And, yes, I do some painting. Um, now, Harris, you're glossing, over, you're glossing over this. I need to take you back. What was, it, what was it like to sit with George Brett and Rush Limbaugh and watch a football game? You know, amazingly funny. Like, these are not two people that talked about themselves. Um, Rush was very funny. He, he had great stories about sports and, and what he loved about team. It was really interesting. And I was such a, you know, I was at a young, impressionable age at that point, too, just seeing broadcasters like that talk about team and, and how much he loved what he did. And George Brett told me the whole, the tar story. 
I didn't know. I felt like such. I like now. I really one of the great stories of all time. The Tarbat story. Like, what's wrong with you? But I didn't know. And the way he told the story was just so humble. I mean, it was like, yeah, you know, there was this day because Rush asked me, well, do you know what makes this guy? And I'm like, no, I don't know. And so he starts to tell me the story. And Rush is like, well, don't leave out that part. Don't leave out that part. It was really cool. And we were eating. I mean, they were serving barbecue. You know, it was a perfect day. Don't talk about the barbecue. Barbecue is unbelievable. Um, I wanted to ask you, you know, Rush has got cancer or, or, or yeah. in, in really, you know, I don't know how, you know, it's a blessing that he's still alive. Um, I'm one of those guys generationally that started listening to Rush when I was in my 20s. Um, his first year on the air, I never forget it. I was driving around as a salesman uh, in Phoenix, Arizona and turned the radio on and there he was. And um, before the end of the show, I was hooked because he had the ability to communicate the way I felt about America uh, in a way that was just so unique. Um, what is it about Rush that's so special? I mean, you've had a chance to be around him. He, to so many people, he means so much. It's the way that he communicates. You don't even have to agree with him. I mean, I meet people all the time who don't feel like you, who are like, oh my gosh, Rush Limbaugh drives me crazy. And I'm like, well, why are you listening to him? Because they believe he's the real deal. And I mean, authenticity is a theme here, right? We have a lot of people who aren't who they say they are. And, you know, social media has made it worse. Mm -hmm. Because people aren't the people that they are on social media. I mean, if you have an egghead, not even a picture representing you, who who are you? (laughs) You can say or do anything you want, right? Yeah. And I don't trust anybody who, you know can't show their face show up to a fight or a debate or whatever you want to call it on Twitter. It's gotten pretty, pretty dark in some places, but Rush is an original and his authenticity is inspiring because it isn't about what he's saying all the time. It is about the passion with which he says it. And when you have a conversation and you have a lot of questions like I did when I was younger and I first met him, he never made you feel like he didn't have time to answer that question. I mean, we're seated, we're waiting for the Chiefs game to start, we're in a tailgate tent, I mean, we're having a good time. But he could have he gotten up and greeted his fans. Yeah. But we sat, we chatted. It wasn't very long, but it was just long enough to make an impression on me that as a broadcaster, you only need to bring one element to your game. For goodness sakes, be real. Well, I think you've done a good job of that because well, that's Thanks, one of the things Roman. I love about your presentation is you're real, you're consistent, you're who you are. Uh, you don't change based upon the subject matter of who you're talking to. You just you I appreciate who that. you are. And I think that that makes successful people in any area of life, as you said, that can be authentic and that aren't, that aren't afraid to be themselves. And I think one of the, you know, before I let you go, this has gone by so fast. Um, I've enjoyed it. I'm so grateful for your time. I was so excited to see you last year at the Super Bowl. Too. I know. I know. We had fun. That was, that, that was a tremendous amount of fun. And um, I want to ask you about something that a lot of people stop and talk to me about. Um, I think one of the things that I, if you put your finger up at the pulse of Americans right now where we are today, 
I think people know that the political landscape is divided. The political landscape is ugly, and, and that comes with the territory. But I think something that's really worrying people that I talk to today is this um, suppression of speech. Um, yeah. What's going on with the tech companies um, that basically one part of America is not allowed to have an opinion anymore uh, and is not only not allowed to have the opinion, but is going to be punished for that opinion. And I think people have really woken up. I mean, uh, that's the one thing I see right now that really causes me concern is the freedom to speak, uh, the freedom of speech and where that is going right now and why our leaders up there aren't taking this more seriously. Who cares about what people are saying, but the fact that people cannot say it is really the thing that bothers me. You know, you bring up so many salient points within that overarching category of free speech. And I will tell you this as a person of color, of, of diversity, and I'm diverse in every sense of the word. I mean, I tell that to people. You know, it's Black History Month. Okay. But just because I am black and there may be four or five other black people in a room, we don't all think the same. We don't all pray the same. We don't all dress the same. We don't all like the same football team. But we should all be able to express with confidence our points of view. And for some reason, one political side has decided that it's more right than the others. And I don't know why they think that, because in this country, I remember a time when it wasn't popular to look like me. They wanted to silence people who look like me. We didn't stand for it then as America, and we cannot stand for it now. The issues are not that different. The motivations behind wanting to silence 74 plus million people may be quite similar, in fact. If you silence people, they're easier to control. So the question then becomes, well, where do they want to take us? Right? That's why you had people of every walk of life joining people of color in the streets in the 50s and 60s. They had questions about why we were being silenced. Where do you want to take everybody? We don't, we don't want anybody silenced. I think it is a beautiful thing that the nation is waking up to it. We are not sheep. So now we have to figure out how best to take our voices back and not let big tech decide when it's popular for them to be heard. That's not just unfair. It's un-American. And... You know, if they want to create their own platforms for all the people who think and, and talk like them, I'm fine with that. Then just be honest about it and say that that's what you want. Don't say that you want everybody. Say you only want a few. And by the way, you're going to have to give that Section 230 protection from the government up because you only get that when you say and then back up what you say that you are offering a platform for everybody. If you're going to quelch some voices, you can't get protection. And I will say this one final thing. And I teach my children this. If you don't listen silently to everybody, and there's a reason why listen and silent have the same letters. Got to have your mouth closed. Where do they hear everybody? If you don't have every voice at the table, you will miss the answers. Because if you already had all the answers, you'd be running the world. And I don't see that anywhere. We need all voices at the table. And we can't have half the country feeling like their voices don't count. I was because you know up. why? That's a lie. Yeah. That actually is a lie. I was Their gonna voices follow, do count. I was going to follow up with, 
um, because you're, you're up there, you've, you've interviewed Donald Trump. Um, wh- what do you see his role? Um, you know, if you had to say here, you know, when so things calm down. that's a great question. What do you think? I think it's changing day by day. I think he is deciding what his role is going to be. And the Republican Party is deciding what his role is going to be. The question will be Roman. Do those two entities sit down to decide what his role will be? And we don't know what that will look like. We don't know if that will happen. So we don't know yet. But there's one thing I can tell you about the presidents, all of them whom I've met, and I've met Bush, Obama, Clinton, Trump, so at least the last four. Um, and I would have been a child, I guess, to meet anymore. But <laughs> now that I do the math on that. But, you know, they all have something special that made them big personalities, that made them, they would be doing something big no matter what they chose if it hadn't been the presidency. And they may not have been the president that you liked or the president that you loved or voted for or whatever, but you cannot take away the fact that they play a role in American, you know, just the way that we live, the fabric of our lives. And so former president Donald J. Trump will find out how he fits into that fabric. He will not fade away, just as none of them really has. Are you, when, what keeps you going to work every day of showing up and doing what you do five days a week and passionate about it and the mindset that you have to take? Because people don't realize a five day a week show is a, is a great commitment you obviously love what you do. So as you go forward, what are, what are some of the things that you're trying to accomplish uh, for Harris Faulkner in terms of your mm-hmm. job and what you're trying to do daily? Well, I had a dream come true just a few days ago. It's been two weeks now with the Faulkner Focus. Um, having uh, the platform to tell stories and do the one thing that I think is so important ask myself with everything that goes into that hour that now has my name on it, uh, is it true, is it necessary, is it now? I never wanna waste anybody's time. That's, that's what gets me out of bed in the morning for this job. I want people to know that I wanna save them time. I want them to find a place where every voice and every question is, is welcome. And that there's a difference between the facts and the truth. Facts you can go gather. Facts plus context, perspective, and experience is the truth. And I don't think there's enough truth-telling. I think that, you know, people deserve to know what the real deal is. When they're shutting down businesses and then opening them up just miraculously right after the presidential election, it's okay to ask questions about that. It's okay to wonder, you know, about the things that are going on that we can't control right now. And I get out of bed every day knowing that I'm going to just keep pressing on behalf of the American people. I so that's do. Your perspective I what? have now, my girls can watch me do this because I'm working from home most days. Yeah. Um, okay. So we're at Super Bowl 55 um, sitting here at Radio yes. Row. And this is kind of crazy because normally this place would be packed out. And it's- but I saw you on TV when they shot Radio Row a few days ago. Oh. You look good. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Can I just say one thing to your viewers and listeners? Roman Gabriel is someone who 
does that thing in broadcasting that we all hope that we can. You were asking about Rush Limbaugh and others. You have grace and graciousness. Oh, thank you. And I want to brag on you a little bit because I know as a player, you had that on the field too. It comes through with everything that you are, that you can be competitive and you are competitive, but you know how to win. And winning isn't always the score. It's winning in life. So I'm really honored to be on the show with you, Roman. Thank you. Well, I tell you what, you and I have a lot in common and I've wanted to have this conversation for a long time because, you know, politics and sports, you know, really come together and you have such a passion for what you do. And I, I, you know, my passion has changed over the years, Harris. Uh, I was in straight up sports for a long time covering, you know, the games, injuries, covering the spreads, breaking news. Um, and, and I cut my teeth in sports doing that, but, uh, through that, I, over the last 26 years, I've grown to have a lot of great relationships in the sports business. And, um, I decided a long time ago that like you, that I wanted to make a difference, meaning I wanted my platform, um, to influence people's lives. And, uh, I wanted to tell people's stories and there's so many great stories in sports, so many great stories about people who have overcome and who are making a difference and who, uh, for lack of a better word, play the sport for what they can do for others, not for themselves. And um, that's what my show, The Roman Gabriel Show, I wanted it to be, was um, talking to people that have a passion for sports, but that are professional and passionate and winners in all, all sorts of lives. Uh, and that's what I see in you as a person You said something just then, you hit the nail on the head, you and your wife. Politics and politicians are steeped in the past. Mm -hmm. You know, power is about the past. It's Mm -hmm. what you always had. You've got to be focused on the future now. You're raising children, you're helping so many kids. And we have to decide that the politicians aren't our voice. They are a reflection. Right. Well, they're not our voice. Right. They, They don't, they don't. They actually are not our voice. They are people that we hire for a period of time when we act out our values. That's very different. See, you and I, you and I agree about the fact that, um, unfortunately, they don't understand what real life's about because. Oh, America, they understand. They don't engage. They, yeah, they don't engage. <laughs> yeah, it's Amer- not, American it's not, people. Uh, the American people are smart. The American people get it. The American yes. people understand what's going on, and I think they get really frustrated when they are talked down to. Oh, yes. And told that because people can see it differently and often do, one side is chosen over the other based on that past political power structure. And look, both sides play this game on the Hill. Nobody gets a pass. Mm-hmm. Nobody gets a pass. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, you, even Obama used to say this, he, he wanted bipartisanship, but he knew that he couldn't even get it from his own party. And Trump knew this from the get-go. He really got it. He really understood it because he had known politicians to be people who would ask him for money. And then, you know, when it came time to do their jobs, that was the only expectation. He would say, it didn't seem like they wanted to do their jobs. Let me ask you a question. When I watch you sometimes, how frustrating is it? I know the longer you're there, it's probably easier, but how fr- I get so frustrated, you know, when I watch your show and others, when you do get a guest on who will, they just will refuse to be honest and refuse to answer the questions. How frustrating is that? You know, it isn't about me. That's how I look yeah. at those moments. 
Um, people are watching to see the truth. And when I say to someone, okay, so you're not going to answer my question, the audience sees that. And what that person may underestimate is their ability to turn off people who could be potential voters. And it's not my job to beat them over the head and, you know, make them tell the truth. It's my job to say, well, here the facts are. Why do you, why do you disagree with the facts? And when they don't want to talk about it, I will sometimes ask a question about, you know, well, what do you wish the facts could be? And you'll often hear me say, well, I believe you believe that, but it doesn't make it true. <laughs> so I love what I do. I don't, I don't really. So it doesn't, it so it doesn't, yeah, you don't, you don't take it. Them. Yeah. So, so you're just trying to find a way to get them to be more forthright. Yeah. Because if them. you know the truth about somebody, when they show you who they are, that's a game changer. Mm -hmm. they're, they're not able to show you who you who they want you to believe they are. They've just shown you who they are. And I think that's part of our, our search right now to knit together a more factual existence. I, I'm, I'm frustrated by social media because now apparently Twitter wants to hire users to help them fact check. Oh my gosh, Roman, I could go on forever about this, but we cannot have Twitter users being our fact checkers. Yeah. We do agree on that, right? Right. That's a bad idea. You know, I, I, uh, I use social networking only for one thing. Um, well, for work. To encourage people and to, and to um, show people that there's a way to live life. Uh, and I love that that. that. that can rise above all the negativity and the ugliness. Um, you know, my wife tells me all the time, she goes, you know, people listen to your show and, and, and kids listen to you and you're in public schools. You got to be really careful about how you say things. And, and I tell her, I say, you know, I really try to remain apolitical when I'm talking uh, about my yeah. program and to kids and that kind of thing. But um, when you, when you bring things like the constitution and freedom of speech, freedom to gather, freedom of religion, those basic constitutional rights that people died over, like your, like your father fought for, um, it's really hard for me to look the other way uh, when we're throwing that to the, to, to the street. Um, I'm really, really concerned about um, the attitude. Well, and that's why I think parents have to be, and you in, in your role in school, you have to be that person who your kids come to first. Right. And, you know, your children can be a generation of kids who aren't even the ones you and your wife are raising. Yeah. You know, but, but you want them to be in search of people who are about things and yeah. have high values. And I, I think that's how you change it. You know, you can encourage kids before you debate, read the Constitution. It's really short. There were like six dudes who wrote it. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's well, not that hard. You know, I know one of the things that's got to concern everybody is how, how, do we, how do we cover up history, reinvent it, and think that our country is going to be better? Well, you know, good or bad. There's a lot I mean, missing in schools, and it used to be that our churches would make it up. I remember my mom was a Sunday school teacher. She also taught uh, kindergarten and elementary school. But you know, my mom used to say, "You can teach somebody any any place you are," and she would get kids in her Sunday school who were not good readers in fifth and sixth grade, and she would choose to teach them to read certain historical things because that's where a lot of our phrasing comes from. Like if you can't master history, you're going to have a hard time being a great communicator. 
Right. Like you need to know where phrases and, and things come from. And it's not just that maybe the kids aren't reading the Declaration of Independence. It's that they're not understanding it because they're not being taught it. But it doesn't mean that you can't have them read it. And then when they get home or wherever they are, say, read me a line from the Declaration and read it like you mean it. Do you right. know what that line means? Right. Like, I, I think that there are opportunities. But, you know, it, it's, it's tough because not every parent wants to be as involved as what we're talking about. Well, I just, th- I just think patriotism is something, you know, that includes telling the real history, good or bad or ugly. Learning from history uh, and then knowing that history repeats itself. And if we don't know our history, then we're doomed to repeat the same mistakes. Well, and it's like my dad said, you know, you have an opportunity to be part of the next chapter that's written. And that's how I feel about my kids and grandkids. I have two kids and and five, six grandkids um, that range from two to ten. And I want them to uh, I, I want them to be proud of their country. I want them to know the history, the real history, and I want them to know that we're not perfect and that, you know, there have been blemishes and there have been mistakes and there have been things that we've had to learn from the hard way. But I want them to be proud of their country. I want them to feel good about their country. I want them to know that we live in the greatest country in the world, regardless of our problems. And, you know, that's where I think we've all got to rise above it. You're my perfect guest. Let's just put it that way. Oh, my goodness. I'm honored to be your guest. Thank you. This has been a real pleasure. And um, and I'm going to be watching you on Fox, your new show, uh, Faulkner Focus, uh, and what you're going to be doing over there. And uh, we'll, we'll get thank back you. together again. But this has been a lot of fun. And I thank you very much for coming on the Roman Gabriel Show. Thank you. Weekdays, 11 a.m. Eastern. Thank you, Roman. God bless. Thanks so much for listening to The Roman Gabriel Show. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a rating and review on iTunes and be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. And remember, you can help us at the Sold Out Youth Foundation by donating. Text SOLD OUT20 to 484848. That's SOLD OUT20 to 484848 and help us help your students to stay drug and alcohol free. The Roman Gabriel Show is produced in partnership with Revoice Media. Executive producers Roman Gabriel and Nick Ruffini, audio editing by Justin Thomas, and graphic design by Catherine Wade. For more music, entertainment, and sports podcasts, check out revoicemedia.com. Listen to The Roman Gabriel Show at RomanGabrielShow.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.